Dennis asked me if I could fill in for a Sunday school. Uh, he gave me one week, which usually I'm the kind of guy, like when people ask me to fill in, I, like I think my last time I did this, I did like a 13-week series on uh, kind of anti pedo baptism and what we actually believe uh, pro-baptism, our, our view. Uh, but this time I only have one week, so I really try to condense this. This is really high overview-ish stuff for me. We're probably not going to even have enough time because I, I always over-plan. I did whittle this down like 20 slides, so, so we'll see. But anyways, the, the topic I wanted to go through, as you can see up there, it's talking about the law, the rule of love. One of the reasons for this is that we have been heavy in the Mosaic Covenant when we have our Old Testament scripture reading. And where we've come upon now, you know, usually when you do your Bible, uh, your, your yearly Bible readings, you know, if you're reading just the Bible uh, through, through, through the order that it's written, uh, usually it's when, you know, people are having great strides in January and February, they feel really energized, and then they come up to like 50 plus chapters of heavy law that some of them don't make sense and are very far removed. You know, we don't live in an agricultural context, we don't live in a theocracy, things like that. Um, of course, there are still many things we can learn from this. There are general principles. You know, we believe in general equity. And we also believe that uh, a lot of these things are types and shadows. They are true history, but they are also types and shadows uh, pointing to the church and ultimately to Christ. Uh, so one, one, of the re- one of the main reasons I wanted to do, I, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this as I've been going through our Exodus 20 and beyond um, Old Testament scripture readings, but I wanted to just take a Sunday to kind of more bring it out. There's going to be a lot of stuff I'm just going to kind of give an overview of. Some of these particular, I guess, phrases I'll say, it could be a five-part sermon series in and of itself. But we've already proved these things from Scripture before in a lot of our shorter catechism readings and whatnot. So I'm going to, I am going to try to stay focused and just keep it like that. But it will be very high-level overview, and I do hope I can get through this uh, in the next 40 minutes. I doubt it, though. So we'll see. So first, let's remind ourselves of the various uses of the law. One of the first uses of the law we have is that the law is a mirror. On the one hand, the law of God reflects and mirrors the perfect righteousness of God. The law tells us much about who God is, and perhaps more importantly, the law illuminates human sinfulness. It exposes to us, like you know, Paul says, I would not have known you know, this and that was sin except for the law. The law highlights our weaknesses so that we might seek the strength of Christ, that we might seek him as our refuge. Uh, here, the law acts as a severe schoolmaster to drive us to Christ, and you'll get that a lot in the, in the text of Galatians 3 there. Oops, I forget. I'm. Uh, secondly, the law is a restraint for evil. The law in and of itself cannot change human hearts. It can, however, serve to protect the righteous from the unjust. Calvin says, quote, By means of its fearful denunciations and the consequent dread of punishment, to curb those, unless forced, have no regard for rectitude and justice, end quote. The law allows for a limited measure of justice on the earth, and of course we know God will execute his justice perfectly and finally on the last day. The third use of the law is that it reveals what is pleasing to God. As born-again children of God, the law enlightens us as to what is pleasing to our Father, whom we seek to serve. The Christian delights in the law of God himself, um, as God delights in himself. Jesus said, quote, if you love me, keep my commandments. And of course, that is from John 14, 15. Uh, this is the highest function of the law, and it serves as an instrument for the people of God to give him honor and glory. One of my favorite illustrations regarding the law, and like I was saying in, in the part two of it, how it restrains evil, is that 
we know the law itself does not change the heart. It cannot make you good. It cannot do that. It's more like a, a railroad where it's, it's, it's the tracks, and it's going to tell the train where to go. That, that, that train, that locomotive, is powered by fire or electricity, whatever they use nowadays. Uh, and in that illustration, it, it's through the power of a regenerated heart, the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that allows us to drive to, on, onto what is pleasing to the Lord. The law is only the tracks, and those tracks themselves don't make the train go. They just keep it on course. So with that, uh, let's go on to the next slide here, uh, beginning with a quote. The law of God, as expressed in the Ten Commandments, is one of the greatest gifts ever given to mankind. The Ten Commandments not only serve as a guide for us in the Christian life, but they are a lens through which we view the love, beauty, and holiness of the Creator. The Ten Commandments are truly one of the most powerful acts of God's condescending love and self-disclosure. Unfortunately, the Ten Commandments have become a battleground for theological debate. There we go. Unfortunately, the Ten Commandments have become a battleground for theological debate and the victim of tortured hermeneutics. In essence, the glory of this gift has too often been shrouded by theological obfuscation. That can be your word of the day. That really means just a cloud that covers things and it takes away what you're actually supposed to view of it. And of course, you know, we, we've talked about before you know, the different views of the Sabbath, the debates between their debates between New Covenant theology uh, versus kind of more historic Reformed Baptist theology. Even our debates of infant baptism and things like that have to deal with the law of God in certain aspects. Um, and, of course, there is a time and a place to debate. There are things we have to hash out. You know, we believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, but not all things are as equally clear. You know, the, the gospel of how you're saved, that we are sinners, that Christ died, uh, he ascended on high, rose again from the third day. Those are things that are very clear in the Bible. You know, there shouldn't be debate about that. Uh, but issues surrounding the Ten Commandments, there are often debates. And so I really want to take this opportunity as, you know, we've already decided as a church, like, you know, we hold to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Here's what we believe about the Ten Commandments. And so because of that, I kind of want to take away all those theological obfuscations, you know, that be clouding there and just get back to, okay, how does the Bible talk about the law? And, and kind of get back to that. That way we could have how God wants us to view the law. Um, so we can kind of, I guess, step away from all the debates and all this and that. You know, again, there's a time for place to that. And if you're not there yet, you know, we have plenty of resources we can help you with. Uh, but, but for today, I just kind of want to focus on, okay, what's, what's the Bible say about it? So really the things I want to connect is, is have us having a godly view of God's law, seeing its relation to love. Like I said, you know, I call it, I love calling it the law of love. And also seeing how that relates to covenant. Of course, covenant, which is something very personal. You know, again, when we say covenant, don't think of a, a legal contract and it's just very abstract and words. It's, it's, there, it's, there's a lot of love and, uh, we'll, we'll get there. So that, that's my goal. That's my aim. Let's see how we do. So first, let's start with a godly view of God's law. And I'm just going to be going through a couple of scriptures very briefly. All will probably be very familiar to you. Oh, how I love your law. It is my, te- my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 97. I have rejoiced. I don't know why it's taking three clicks for every click. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all your riches. Is my mouse still over that, Joe? Or are you clicking it? It is me? Okay, so making sure. Psalm 119, 14. Psalm, Psalm 19, which is just 
hundreds of verses we could talk about the law. reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. I I know a lot of us grew up in very you know fundamentalistic churches, very legalistic churches. And so when it comes to the law, you may have said like, oh, those are cosmic killjoys. Those are thou shall nots only, and they're only they're just mean things, and it's keeping me from my true joy and freedom. You know, you hear that a lot from the world and uh, and even from some Christians. Um, but when you read how the scripture talks about the law, I mean, it's, it's, it's rejoicing in it. It's thanking God for it. It's, and it's, it's, it's very otherly if you didn't grow up with a right and proper understanding of the law. But this is how the word, I mean, the Psalms are, are a book of praise, a, a book, you know, that the church would come, you know, the Old Testament church would come together and sing these things to the Lord. I think we also too can sing Psalms, and I want to do more of that. Um, but again, we, it, this is just, I know me growing up, I read things like that about the law, and I thought, oh, well, they just believe that because they were legalistic in the Old Covenant. You know, I had that kind of wrong view of, uh, I was a dispensationalist. So, um, again, those are more things, issues about the law that are debatable. But again, this is how God rejoices and talks about his law. And, of course, it's not only Old Covenant. You know, that my argument would have been like, oh, well, those are just the Old Testament guys. They didn't, you know, we have Jesus now. Even in the New Testament, First uh, Timothy one eight, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Of course, and and that that's really the um, that last part is a very important part. If one uses it lawfully, yes, a lot of people are using the law. Some people use it for weapons, for uh, harassment, for um, their own unjust means. And so it's in that case, it's not good. It's not being used good. You've taken the tool, a gift from God, and you've used it in wrong ways. Uh, it is good if one uses it lawfully. So that's what we want to make sure we are doing. Also, Romans 7.12 reads, The law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Here's a quote from uh, R.C. Sproul about this. He reads, The law is not an abstract set of rules and regulations. The law reflects the will of the lawgiver, and in that regard, it is intensely personal. The law reflects to the creature the perfect will of the creator, and at the same time, reveals the character of that being whose law it is. The law of God proceeds from God's being and reflects his character. So one of the reasons we say that, you know, the moral law, it's, it's eternal. Those things never change because they are really just uh, showing what is pleasing to God. It's a reflection of his character. Um, some, some quick reviews just to kind of, uh, these are catechisms and stuff that we've gone through before, just to kind of highlight some of these things. What is the duty which God requires of man? Answer, the duty which God requires of man is the obedience to his revealed will. So, like, how, what are we supposed to do as humans on this earth? You know, I mean, it's simply put in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Question 43 from that Baptist Shorter Catechism. What did God at first reveal to man for the rule of his obedience? Answer, the rule which God at first revealed to man for his obedience was the moral law of God. The proof takes there being Romans 2, 14 through 15, which reads, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Again, this just goes into 
we are all made in the image of God. God has stamped his law on every human. Of course, this gets marred when Adam falls, and this really only gets restored again when we have a regenerate heart, when we are, again, becoming to become conformed in the image of God. But even if, even if, you know, I had that first picture of Moses with the Ten Commandments, you know, on Mount Sinai and the lightning and, uh, and whatnot, even if God did not give that law on tablets of stone, it was still given to man as, you know, that's one of the, the big proofs you have in the first three chapters of Romans. Uh, continuing on though, oops, I keep moving the mouse and I'm not supposed to. Question 44 from that short of catechism. Where is the moral law similarly, similarly, I can't say that, comprehended in its sum? Uh, answer, the moral law, in summary, is comprehended in the Ten Commandments. And of course, that's something that we've, we've gone through uh, many a time, so I won't seek to prove that. I'm just kind of giving us a review. Yeah, Joe, I, maybe, maybe the mouse is not a, maybe it's having a connection problem. There we go. So again, my, my question is, you know, helping us to, I don't want us to merely see the law as, as just thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. It's so much more. And I really want us to see it as a loving guide for us Christians. I really want us to see it that it is good. I want us to echo like the psalmist. I love your law. I, des- I delight in it. It's like sweet drippings from the honeycomb. That's very high. It's better than gold, even much fine gold. Like that's, I don't know if I'm there yet to where I could say that in good conscience, uh, but I want to. You know, that, I think that should be our aim. Question 45, what is the sum of the Ten Commandments? And again, so this is going to start getting into us seeing how the commandments are, are uh, really explaining love. And here the catechism basically quotes Jesus. Uh, answer, the sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our minds, and our neighbors as ourselves. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out and read Matthew 22. I know these, you know, that's very familiar phrasing and whatnot, so I like to sometimes slow down and, and re, re kind of Relook at this with fresh eyes. It's also helpful just to you know have these things in our hand and look at them. Matthew twenty-two, of course, we know the Pharisees always trying to trap Jesus. A lot of times they were weighing different laws, like which laws have more weight, which ones were lighter. So they eventually asked Jesus what he believed. Well, let me just go ahead and read the text. Let the Bible speak for itself here. Matthew twenty-two, verses thirty-seven through forty. Read. And he said to them, well, I'll start at verse 36. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Again, this is them trying to weigh, weigh what's more important because they'd always get around with their technicalities. Oh, this is more important, so I'm going to ignore that thing and whatnot. Uh, verse 37. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And of course, they would understand that language of the whole law as the first five books of the Bible, and a lot of times the rest of the Old Testament was referred to as merely the prophets, sometimes the prophets and, and poetry and whatnot. There's another uh, phrase there I, I'm forgetting at the moment. But it's, it's all-encompassing, and it's, you know, I could imagine a Pharisee thinking, okay, with all our heart and with all our soul, you know, just trying to compartmentalize everything, you know, like they would. This is just talking about our whole being, with all that we are, love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and, and that's why I, I, I keep reminding us as we're going through these various different laws, all these things stream out from, you know, the moral law, what we summarize in the Ten Commandments. And when you even summarize those even more, it comes down to loving God and loving others. So again, we shouldn't see these things as harsh things. We see these things as, oh, this is how we love. This is the proper way to love God and to love others. 
It's really simply uh, that much. And I, I've already gone through a lot of examples of the tank, you know, when it says thou shall not steal, it's, it's not just, yes, it is loving to not steal your neighbor's stuff uh, and whatnot, but it is, it, is, it is loving for you to make sure that you have a, a, a means to provide for yourself that you can give to others who are in need. You know, that was kind of the New Testament injunction we saw last week when we were looking at, at those laws of restitution in Exodus, I believe we were in chapter 21 and, and the first half of 22 last week. But with that, let's keep moving on. Are there any questions? Because I, I'll just keep going. All right, excellent. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, this is trying to relate love and law and how all those things connect. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And again, what Jesus was saying was not any new revelation. He was just really echoing what what has always been in the law. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Of course, these would be words that any good Jew would be saying at least twice a day, their morning and evening prayers. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Again, what Jesus is saying is what Moses said, which were the instructions that God gave to him. Also Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, there it is straight out in the Old Testament. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You are to keep my statutes and on and on it goes. Again, simply stated, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the end means. It's the goal of it. You know, uh, Jesus wasn't really saying anything new, just really summarizing it for them. And this is, I think, most clear in Romans 13a. I also read this during last week's Old Testament reading. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Again, that is the fulfillment. Verse 9, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. What are all those? Those are all parts of the Ten Commandments. He's, he's saying, you know, going back to the law, the Ten Commandments, especially these laws here that deal with our relation from man to man. This is the, the last six of the Ten Commandments. And if there is any other commandment, again, all command, this is what all commandments are pointing to, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, we... we we often, we often fall victim, I think, to this world's definition of love. You know, it's constantly preached to us in, in our modern day poets and theologians, which are movie directors and script writers and, um, artists of various sorts, musicians and whatnot. They are constantly preaching a message to us. You know, we do need to be on guard. You know, I'm saying you can't listen to something that's not KLTY. I don't even like KLTY. So, um, but, but we do need to be mindful what the world is preaching at us at all times because it's always coming at us. Um, but it's, it's more than likely not going to be giving us the right view of, of, uh, of God's just laws or how they relate to love. You know, usually they, if they bring up God, it's usually in a mocking way, a blasphemous way. So um, we just, you know, make sure that we understand the fulfillment of God's law is love. And, and this is really how you can, I, I remember back when I was at Calvary Chapel forever ago, when they were, we were talking about Christian ethics, you could kind of get down to, to, uh, it's, they were, you know, we were going through Romans and they would just kind of boil it down. Well, are you walking by the flesh or are you walking by the spirit? You know, it's a very black and white test of, of, okay, this decision I'm doing or, 
Okay, right now I'm raising my voice at my loved ones. Am I walking by the flesh or am I walking by the spirit? And you can answer those questions a lot of times. You can do the same thing with the Ten Commandments or the summary of the Ten Commandments. You can ask yourself, am I loving my neighbor at this point? Am I loving my, my children, my son, my, my church family, my whoever? Uh, again, remember, neighbor, don't get the technical Pharisee definition of that's only the person literally right next to me. It's, really, it's, it's all people. It's all people uh, that you have in contact with you, which now that we're in a digital world, uh, pretty much means everyone, it seems like. But, but again, love is a fulfillment of the law. And because I've said that 30 times, hopefully you've at least got that one point. And that was kind of my main, main point there. But let's keep moving on and look at connecting this to covenant because law and covenant are tied together. And covenant is just such a personal thing. It's such a loving thing. And I, I, uh, in our next 10 minutes... Actually, I still have 20 minutes. I'm, I'm making good time. I, I think we, we uh, I, I hope that we could see this. I think one of the ways we can see this is by looking at the preface to the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are not just, they aren't just thrown down in there. They're in a context. So let's look at that, that context. Uh, what is the preface to the Ten Commandments? This is again from question 46 of the shorter uh, Baptist Catechism. The preface to the Ten Commandments is in these words, and this is just a quote from Exodus 22, 20, and verse 2. It reads, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And the, the point here is that often, you know, I, I know in my dispensational misunderstanding, legal, very legalistic upbringing, I thought keeping God's law, and, you know, and it's, it's very, I mean, the, the Bible itself deals with these exact arguments. People believe that keeping God's law was how you're justified. Well, no, we're not justified in any way, like we're not, we've already fallen short. You break one of the commandments. You know, it's a very precious, holy thing. You can't, you break one, you've broken them all, as we read in James a couple weeks ago. And in my misunderstanding, you know, you get to the Ten Commandments, you're just like, okay, this is the way we need to keep God's law. And this is, you know, because, because we say things like, this is pleasing to God and this and that, we can misunderstand and, and say, this is how you're saved. This is how you please him in a justification-type sense, and that where your sins are forgiven. Like, no, no, that's, that's only through redeeming grace. That's only through, through... There is an aspect of that. We can't keep that part. Christ did fulfill the law, but we can't. This is why we need a Savior, which is why we need, uh, which is why we need Christ, which is why we need to cry out for his mercy and his grace. But the, the point here is that, especially when you're looking at types and shadows and whatnot, at this point, Egypt has already been redeemed. They've been taken out of that slavery that they were into Pharaoh and Egypt, not, they have been redeemed, and God is saying, I am the Lord your God. Of course, the Lord there being, being that covenantal name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, um, and it's, it's, it'll be capitalized in all caps in your, in your Bible, uh, typically is what they do, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And of course, he goes on and on saying, for the purpose to worship me and whatnot, and this and that. But God has already made them his people, and then after that, he's giving them the law. So there's already redemption first before that law is given. Um, also, I, I did want to point out that that word to, to kind of see some of the. Um, oops. He also says, "Bring out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage." Oops, I think I missed I missed a verse here. There's something else I wanted to read. Yeah, Exodus two twenty three through twenty five also reads. Nope. You know what? I'm hold up. No, I'm good. Anyways, continuing on with the preface of their covenantal context. First, we see Yahweh is their God. This is all the stuff I was already saying. I forgot I already wrote it down. Yahweh is their God, the covenantal God. He's, making, he's in covenant with them. Uh, he redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. It's out of love 
First, because of the covenantal promise to Abraham. And I do have, I do want to read Exodus 22, 23 through 25. I'll just read that real quick. It says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage, and they cried out. Again, this is the beginning part of Exodus. So they have it, they're still in bondage. They've still been in bondage for uh, way too long. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God knew them. Some translations will say God took notice of them. You know, of course, God is omnipotent. God, God is all-seeing. Um, this word knew, it's, it's that same word knew that you see with Adam knew his wife. You know, that loving relationship, that loving covenantal relationship that they had. I really like how John Gill, uh, you know, another old-school Reformed Baptist dude, explains this. He says, knew not only them, you know, that is that he knows them, he knows about them, you know, the Israelites, and he loves them. That word does also convey love, and approved of them and owned them as his own, all of which words of knowledge sometimes signify. But he knew their sorrows and their sufferings and took notice of what was done to them secretly. And he encourages us to look at Exodus 3, 7, which uh, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. And this instantly just brings to my mind how, how, how Christ, our great high priest, can sympathize with us. He is familiar. He took on human flesh to, to, and I mean, there's no greater knowledge, greater knowing you can have than to take on that, that role. It's like that old saying, you know, put yourself in their shoes. Well, Christ literally, Christ did take on human flesh and suffered, suffered way more than anyone else ever would, take on the, the sins of all his people. But again, moving forward, so we see in their covenantal context, Yahweh is their God. He redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, this is because of the covenantal promise to, to Abraham. And then Genesis 17, 7, again, I'm trying to, to show how this covenant is related to love. Genesis 17, 7 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants uh, to be a God to you and your descendants after you. Again, it's, it's related to the family. There's, there's, a, there's a family line that needs to happen. Genesis 24, 12, I'm clicking is getting really weird on this thing. It refers to this, this, this keeping, you know, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that covenant language, with steadfast loving kindness. Genesis 24 talks about how Isaac finds his wife, uh, or how, rather, one of Abraham's servants is to find a wife for Isaac, because part of the promise that God gives is that they need to have children, and this is, this is all in the family. Uh, it's an important part of covenant, since physical offspring was needed and promised. So this covenant promise being fulfilled is referred to as steadfast love and loving kindness. Genesis 24, 12 reads, He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show loving kindness to my master Abraham. And then by the time he finds the wife later in that chapter, he's giving praise. And this is uh, Genesis 24, verse 27. It reads, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. And of course, there he's referring to that promise that God gave Abraham that he would, a nation would come from him. And, and even in him finding a wife or a son, he saw that, that fulfilling that covenant as a, as a loving kindness. That this is a loving kindness. Again, I don't want us to think as of, of, uh, of covenant simply as a legal document, like, but it's a very loving, loving thing. And yes, there are technical rules and, and the legality to it, but it's not just that. Uh, also, to show that it's out of love, God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And for time's sake, um, I'll go ahead and read that one. Yeah. Now then, 
if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my own possession among all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Of course, God is not only making them his people, but he's, they are, they are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They'd be the light of the world to him. They're, they are the apple of his eye. I mean, they're, they are, you know, just, just like when we think of in Romans, how it talks about those who he saved are now trophies of grace. Like, like that is amazing. Like what you would make a wretched sinner like me a trophy of your grace. Like we don't, obviously we say we don't deserve any of that. And exactly, you don't. Uh, also, we see how it's out of love because of the Mosaic covenant. Um, and you see some of that Mosaic covenant, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11. I will go ahead and read them. I'm trying to judge my, my time here. But I think we'll have enough time to get through everything. And again, again here, here are the, the words of loving kindness and whatnot. When you, when you see how this is given, it reads, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than the other peoples, because you were, but you were fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, again, keeping that covenant. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hands of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And on and on and on it goes. Just again, if, if when you hear covenant and if you don't get any kind of semblance of love and loving kindness out of it, then you're, you're missing a lot, of, a lot of the Bible, a lot of scripture. Now, again, when we talk about the Old Testament and we talk about, especially we're going through um, Mosaic Covenant and things like that, things that have, have now been fulfilled in Christ, uh, they aren't just over and done with and we can just skip them. You know, that's one reason we're, we're still reading through. We're not just like, oh, let's just skip Exodus and Leviticus and because we're not under those laws. Let's just jump to a more happy thing like the Psalms or things like that. Um, it has stuff to do with us. These things were written for us. Paul is very clear. Uh, to the Corinthians, and we can learn from them, not only from their examples, but we believe they're also types and shadows, and these, the, the apostles bring these things out in great detail throughout the books, and sometimes we just miss it because they don't, you know, they don't always use the word types and shadows. It is used multiple times, but when, when you analyze and study and go back and forth, you see how many types of the shadows are fulfilled in Christ, in the new covenant, and, and they, were, they were already set up there in the old covenant, like so many times. I've already, I've already said, said, said half of these, or you, you probably already think of them just through how we saw that loving kindness given to the, in the covenant of Old Testament Israel. First, we remember that redemptive history has progressed. And let me actually, uh, sometimes I stick really closely to my notes, and then sometimes I just like go all punk rock and just let loose. But I'm trying to make sure I, uh, yeah. Everything I have is written up here. We are recipients of fulfillments of the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. Again, those, those are long. We could have, again, 15 uh, sermon series on just that point. You know, I encourage you to read Galatians 3.16, Paul's comments on the Abrahamic covenant, especially related to Genesis uh, 12. So again, I have lots of books I can bar, lend you if you want to dive more into that. And we, are no longer, we no longer live under the Mosaic covenant, but under the new covenant. Again, this is very clear throughout the book of Hebrews. This is one of its main points. And, and I'm just saying that to, to show, like, yes, redemptive history has progressed. We're not under these old the, uh, theocratic laws, Mosaic Covenant, um, Abraham Covenant. Those things have been fulfilled in Christ, not abolished or done away with, but fulfilled in Christ, and that makes a difference that they are fulfilled. Uh, so, again, redemptive history has progressed. We remember our redemption. So just like we're remembering, okay, what, were, what was the context that 
the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel. It was, it was the redemption and loving kindness and covenant. We remember that Yahweh is our God too. This is very clear from Romans 3, 28 through 31. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? And of course, Gentiles here referring to everyone who's not a Jew. Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the, uncircum- and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. We also see, our, remember, remembering in our redemption, Israel's deliverance foreshadows ours. Uh, some examples you can think of is the Passover there in, in Exodus 12. Um, it clearly states, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, clean out the old leaven that you have, that you may be made a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. Again, you could have a whole sermon series on that. That is just such, such rich stuff. Oops, I think I, I skipped some stuff. Oh, no, everything I wrote was right there. Yeah. Uh, we also remember that just as Israel's even own bondage is related, you know, foreshadows ours. There's, they were in bondage to Pharaoh. Ours, we clearly see, uh, Colossians, 1, 13 and 14, also in Ephesians 3 and onward, that we were in bondage to Satan, to sin, to death. That that was our taskmaster. That was our Pharaoh, if you will. We were in slavery to that, and we had no way out unless a Redeemer came and delivered us from that. Unless God you know, changed our heart of stones and, and uh, made that happen. We also remember that we too are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, just as Israel was in their loving covenant. But you are, 1 Peter 2 9 reads, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, what more loving thing can we have? And then just when we analyze a lot of the New Testament blessings, riddled all throughout those verses is just, Love, loving kindness, and it, that, just, that just shows the personal care in this. Again, I don't want us to think of our salvation or the gospel as just abstract principles, and I just believe these things. Like, you, know, you are in a, re- a loving relationship with your creator, with your God, and it is, it is just marvelous. Um, allow me to just read these, these, these four verses up here. Just, just listen to, of course, the gospel that's in them, but again, how they're related to love, and a lot of these are very familiar to us. See how great, this is 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. But what great love the Father has bestowed on us that he would give us that blessing of being children of God, joint heirs with Christ. 1 John 4, 9 through 12 reads, By this love, um, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, again, that's just such gentle loving. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, there's that relationship with even the law. Love God, love others. It all boils down to that. And it all flows out of, again, not the law. That doesn't give us any power. It all flows out of the love of God, out of what he has first done for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Romans 5.8 reads, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. We live it by faith. Uh, by faith there. Uh, so with that, let me end this with a long quote, a question, and then an extra long quote. I like some, Sometimes these guys, wait, don't, don't cheat and read it. I mean, sometimes when I'm reading stuff, people just say it better, and I'm just like, okay, how can I summarize this? I'm just like, I'm just going to read it. I know it's, I know in all of the classes of PowerPoint presentation and this and that prep, you're not supposed to read long quotes, but I also have it written up here. To, it'll be easier for us to follow, and it's just very helpful stuff, kind of tying this all together. And again, the main point here being the law is not merely a legal document. It is also the rule of love between God and his people. Recall the first and greatest commandment. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6.5 This same emphasis can be found in Christ's teaching to the church. If you love me, keep my commandments. Of course, that's coming from John 14.15. Hence, we must see that breaking God's law is violating that bond of love. Alternatively, Christ fulfilled that rule of love because he loved his Father, obeying him perfectly. And of course, you see this in that, that great high priestly prayer from John 17, verse 4. Continuing on with the quote. And now the Holy Spirit applies the word to us and enables us to love our triune God, to obey our Heavenly Father. To this end, the Apostle John writes, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God, and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. And again, I remember in my growing up dispensational, very legalistic type understanding, I could understand, okay, why these old psalmists are writing about how they love the law because it's how they're justified. You know, I I thought that wrongly. That's not true. Um, But when I saw it in the New Testament, especially in a chapter, in in a book like John, the, the apostle of love, and he's relating the commandments to God's love and it's related to it. I'm just like, is he talking about work righteousness or what? Like, it didn't make any sense to me until I, you know, had a proper understanding of the gospel and of, of covenant and, and how, and the right uses. You know, the law is good if we use it lawfully. So now when I read these verses, I was like, oh yeah, duh, like that's brilliant. It all, all makes so much more sense. I thank God for that. Again, just that connection in that last part. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Yes, in, in before we're Christians, it's, it's a mirror and it's, and it's pointing out our dirt and our sin and it's, it's curbing our evil, and of course we don't like it. But with as a regenerated Christian, now you can say, you know, we, we should be able to say, like the psalmist, now I see why I delight in your law. This is this is good. This this teaches me how to love others, how to love God, which is our you know our our chief end. It's, you know, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Hence, the law is the rule of love, one broken by Israel, fulfilled by Christ, and applied by the Spirit. And that just that. You could just go through the whole scope from Genesis to Revelation and, and show that out. Uh, this is Dr. John Fesco. He is the author of a book called The Rule of Love, which is where I, that's where I get a lot of that phraseology, where I got a lot of this, these quotes and some of these outlines from. A uh, really good book. It's, it's like that little. He has another one on the Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Really excellent stuff. Uh, he is also actually going to be in town in Mansfield for the Reformed Baptist, which, which conference is it? It's, uh, it's happening next month. But Dr. James Renahan, uh, who has preached here several times before, and Dr. J.V. Fesco will be, will be teaching something about ecclesiology. I forget what the topic is. I'll probably bring them up in the announcements when we get a little closer to that time. But they're really good brothers. I really like their stuff. So again, 
a good question for us to ask before we close is, do we conform our minds to what God says love is? Again, not, not what the world says, but what God says it is. Again, if you just need the summary, love God, love others, you know, summary, sum, similarly bound up in the Ten Commandments. Last long quote, this one's even longer, so. And then we're done. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. She was to shine forth the image of her creator before the world. As Israel foreshadowed the church, we too have been called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to shine forth the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, before the world. We are to be light to the world. So, so was the nation of Israel. Thus, when we read the law, we must always be mindful of our redemption through Christ. We don't want to disconnect those things again from covenant and love and what all those things mean. At the same time, we must realize that we are reading about the image and perfect righteousness of Christ because that's what it, Christ fulfilled those things. Christ perfectly fulfilled the obligations of the law. If we are to reflect the image of Christ, the law will assist us by showing us what we are supposed to look like. With the psalmist, we should love the law of God because it shows us who we are in Christ and the righteousness with which we are to shine forth. As we examine the law, we cannot simply explore ethical questions, for to do so is to divorce the law from its prologue. Of course, the prologue being that they have already been redeemed out, like we talked about. Rather, we are to remember the trajectory that the prologue sets and which terminates in Christ. We must always examine the law in connection with Christ. And with that, I just say amen. That's why I wrote it all down. The law of God is good, but it will only be good for us if we use it the way God intended. We must read the law in its historical, covenantal, and redemptive context so that our gaze will inevitably fall upon Christ. As we read the law, may it reveal our sinfulness and wickedness, reveal us, remind us that we remind us of our need for redemption and drive us to Christ. May we remember that we need not fear the condemnation of the law because Christ has become a curse for us. He took on the curse of the law. That's that book, Rule of Love, J.B. Vesco. And has borne the curse of the law upon the cross. May we also love the law of God as it points us to the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, in whose image we are being renewed. Let us therefore give thanks for the law of God and for Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled the law on our behalf. May we never divorce the law from its prologue, for to do so is to divorce it from Christ. Strong words, but when you analyze you know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I have to say amen, and I think he's right. So with that, we are right on time, but we do need to end. Are there any questions? All right, well, let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father God, we do thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. We do thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse of the law, and that you have not left us to guess at what we should do to please you or how we should love others, but you have clearly told us, and you've expanded those things all throughout your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is clear in those things, Father. Please help us to be a people more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Help us to be that you know, the church is a holy nation of kingdoms and priests, a light unto this dark world, Lord. And the more and more I live in it, the more and more darkness I see, Father. We know we are in a time when the church is at strife, we look forward to that day when the church is at rest and in peace, the church in heaven above, Lord. But until that day, Lord, continue to conform our minds, continue to seek you, to seek the things that are above, continue to live rightly. We, again, we thank you for your law so that we can know how we ought to love you and to love others as ourselves. God, please keep those things on the forefront of our mind. May love always be our drive because we know love never fails. In Christ's name we pray, amen.